turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 for our scripture reading today. We're reading through the Gospel of Matthew for our scripture reading time. I've enjoyed Amber teaching through the Gospel of Matthew with the children's sermons as well as along with our scripture readings. Stand with me if you can, if you, if you will, for the honor, in honor of the reading of God's Word as we look at Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, says, Seeing the crowds, he went up the mountain, and when he sat down, he, the, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not, an ido- not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You may be seated. Now if you will turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 13 and we'll move into our sermon today. Proverbs chapter 3 beginning in verse 13 says this, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the grain from her is or for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. 
The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those who, to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it, to, I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways, for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Let's pray. Lord, as, as I've already mentioned, um, call me down. Lord, I pray you would settle me next to you and that uh, the words I speak may be words from your word, that they would be reflective of the teaching of your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would come into this place pray that you would rest on us. I pray you would open our ears to hear your word. God, without your help, we'll, we'll, we'll be nothing. Without your presence here today, we would have nothing. But Lord, praise your name that you have said that where two or three are gathered, there you are in the midst of them. We need your presence. Lord, I pray that we would value you today that we would lift you up in, our, in value in our minds, that we would worship you the way you ought to be worshiped. In your name, amen. So I don't know if many of you know this, but my birthday's coming up. It's on Tuesday, hint, hint. Um, but around birthdays and Christmas, we gather together a list, don't we? We gather together lists. Children especially, right? You think, you may probably, some of you may already be thinking of your Christmas list. This, uh, this list represents things that we value. It represents things that we want. Now, those of you who may know me could probably guess that my list includes primarily books and cooking stuff. If you were to step into my office, the value I place on books would become quite obvious. And if you were to come over to my house for a meal you would discover my love for cooking. When I was in high school, my list included accessories for my car. To give you some insight into how ridiculous this is, I had a, uh, when I was in high school, I had a, uh, a 1990 Plymouth Sundance. And when that broke, I had a 1986 Mazda 626. Nothing fancy, but I got strobe lights for it drilled holes and stuck them in right inside my grill because that was cool. 
I got really nice speakers for it, right? For terrible car, nice speakers. You can imagine the disconnect here, right? And I did other things. In my Mazda, I replaced the, the bag on the shifter handle because that was a cool bag, right? And replaced the handle. I wanted to, to, you know, custom look and make everything look nice and really cool, right? For those cars, really, right? But I placed value on those things. And when I was in elementary school, the list would, was very likely filled with toys or video games. I remember getting the catalog in the mail uh, around Christmas time and circling everything that I wanted, which then, you know, I might as well have just handed the whole thing and said, everything, please, mom and dad, except for the girls section, right? No Barbies, everything else, Right? I'm sure that even now, most of you may be thinking of your own lists and what, you, what, what things you place value on. Our passage tells us today, uh, tells us uh, both what we uh, must value above all else, and then it tells us how the things we value impact relationships around us. First, we see in our passage that we must value wisdom, or as we've seen in the book of Proverbs, Jesus among, above everything else. We see here, uh, beginning in verse 13, it says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. That's something to value, is it not? Now again, as we've seen before, we need to uh, help our minds get wrapped back around this, right? If I'm claiming that wisdom here is Jesus, then why is wisdom described as a she, right? That's obvious, that's a, that's a major, uh, or that could be a major sticking point. However, uh, as we described earlier, um, wisdom here is described as a woman. Uh, yes, the, the Hebrew word for wisdom is a feminine noun, and feminine nouns take feminine pronouns, right? That doesn't mean that the object that is being described is actually feminine. Um, for example, uh, in Greek, this is an interesting one, in Greek, the word for child is neuter. Right? So generally, uh, uh, for children, the, the pronoun that would go along with that Greek noun would be the word it. Now, are children its? No! Right? They're not. They're not things. They're not objects. They're people. Right? So the gender of the noun does not necessarily reflect the ultimate, uh, what, the, what the noun is ultimately uh, referring to. And we've seen then, so, so Solomon is describing wisdom as a, as a beautiful woman. We see that he, uh, we see in Proverbs that he encourages his son to marry her, right? He wants him to have a relationship with wisdom. Now, in the fullness of time, when the New Testament comes along, the scriptures reveal to us that Jesus Christ is wisdom for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So we find out what Solomon was describing What he may not have known at the time was that the real wisdom is a relationship with Jesus. We see that in this first section that wisdom brings an abundant life. 
right? We see the value that is placed on wisdom. It's better than gold. It's better than silver. It's better than jewels. We see what this, what this, what uh, what valuing this wisdom will bring. Let's look at verse sixteen. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Now you might think, how is wisdom better than gold or jewels, right? How could that be? I mean, money's pretty important. It's pretty valuable, is it not? I mean, with money you buy a house, right, to keep your family in. With money you might buy the food that you put on the table to provide for your family. But does wisdom buy happiness? You could have a roof over your family's, over your family's house, but does that mean that inside the house everything is okay? In fact, the Proverbs tell us it is better for a man to sit up on the corner of his roof than to be inside the house with a contentious woman, right? <laughs> now, many of you guys can say amen to that and all the women will look at you with an evil look. Wisdom means don't let your wife be contentious. Serve her well. Love her. There you go, ladies. Now you have your ammo. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Nancy. <laughs> Trying to get myself out of trouble. <laughs> so wisdom is valuable. Proverbs, though, teaches us that wisdom, that, that maybe money may be able to buy those external things, but wisdom creates happy homes. Wisdom creates loving marriages. And wisdom brings treasures that cannot be valued by marketplace prices. There is no value that can be placed on the love that my wife has for me. Nobody could buy that from me. I, I value that highly. Wisdom brings those things. But we must ask ourselves then, right? If, if wisdom is bringing... Uh, if wisdom is supremely valuable, we must ask ourselves, is there something that we desire more than Jesus? Now, again, I think like most of us, you might say, well, of course I value mo nothing more than Jesus. Of course I do. Well, think about that for a second. Imagine, if you will, with me, uh, this particular phrase. You might say to yourself, well, for me to be happy, of course I would need Jesus but I also need a happy marriage. I need Jesus plus something else, right? Maybe you'd fill in that blank with a promotion. I need Jesus, but I also need a promotion. I need Jesus, but I also need the right car. I need Jesus, but I need a house that's in the right neighborhood. I need Jesus, but I also need romance in my life. I need Jesus, but I also need my family. Whatever you put in that blank, whatever you put in that blank to fill in, I, for me to be happy, I need Jesus plus something else. Whatever you put in that blank is what you treasure most because you've given it the same status as Jesus. If you have given something else the same value that you give to Jesus, that thing is more valuable to you than Jesus. It is. Whatever you put in that blank ultimately is an idol. It's idolatry. And this morning we looked at the Ten Commandments and it begins out saying, you shall have no other gods besides me. You shall not make any graven image. Yet we do this all the time. 
in order to be happy, I need, if anything else is answered there besides Jesus and Jesus alone, that thing has become an idol. The Proverbs continue here and it says, Long life is in her hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. See, wisdom is valuable because wisdom, because Jesus is by definition valuable. We see in the scriptures, wisdom here is described as she is a tree of life, right? Now we may say, well, I value Jesus because of what I get from him, right? Now, that would not be helpful either, because then we are saying that what we get from him is why we value Jesus. Now, again, the scriptures actually help us with this. It, it describes Jesus as the tree of life, right? So wisdom gives us, we've already seen wisdom gives us an abundant life. Life is in her right hand. Now, again, this is not saying that, that, that wisdom is, uh, that you need to uh, love wisdom, you need to pursue Christ because you get stuff from him. Rather, this is saying that by loving Christ, by following Christ, by valuing Christ, those things come, those blessings do come. She is described as a tree of life. Uh, this ultimately what we find out is that this tree of life is Jesus. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, um, God creates man. Then he gives him a law, doesn't he? He says, don't eat of this particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When man takes part of that tree, what, what happens? There's disunity. There's a, the, the relationship with God is broken. And then what does God have to do? He says, I'm going to remove them from the garden so that they can't eat of the tree of life. This tree of life that would give them eternal life. The relationship was broken. They did not deserve to be taking part of that, of that tree anymore. They no longer could take part of that tree because that relationship was broken. It is because of Jesus that that relationship is fixed, is it not? So he then ultimately is the one who brings eternal life. In fact, the tree of life is only mentioned in, in Genesis, here in Proverbs, and again in Revelation. And the tree of life is always representative of the eternal life given by God. And that one who is the one who brings eternal life is Jesus Christ. So, Wisdom is valuable because it brings life, right? If you are a Christian today, the only reason you have life right now, the only reason you have a future hope for life is because of Jesus, and that's it. Because of the one God of the Bible, Jesus Christ. Well, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the only reason that, that we have life. The life that is promised here is not necessarily saying, we've seen this before, that, that these, these promises are not necessarily uh, for the physical thing, right? We're talking about abundant life. We're talking about happiness in our home. We're talking about love in our marriages, right? That those things come through a relationship with Jesus. If you're having trouble in your household, if you're having trouble with your wife, it's probably because there's something wrong with your relationship with Jesus, there's not happiness 
in your home. If there's not, if you don't have the kind of joy that you would expect to have, there may be something wrong in your relationship with Jesus. Uh, our relationship with Jesus brings, brings true joy and true happiness. Secondly, we see here that of, uh, about when it comes to valuing Jesus, we see that, val- that wisdom brings understanding of the way the world works. Look at verses 19 and 20. Verses 19 and 20 says this, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. God says here that through wisdom, that is through Jesus, he created all things. I think what, what, what Solomon is doing here is he's building a case for why wisdom is valuable. Wisdom brings true life. Wisdom brought creation into existence, right? So this is inherently valuable. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, um, uh, Paul reflects on this very truth of the, the, the value of, of wisdom in creation, the value of Jesus and his work in creation, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, talking about Jesus, says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Wisdom, that is Jesus, is valuable because of his work in, in creation. Further than what that tells us is that wisdom is valuable because he is valuable to the Father. He is valuable um, to us because he created us. He alone deserves infinite value. He deserves first and primary place in our hearts. We also see that there's order in creation all around us. That's evident. There is a certain, there is an order to our, to creation. This is why scientists can make observations, right? God created by wisdom. We've seen that wisdom is the way the world is supposed to work. It is the order by which the world is supposed to work. So if God created by his wisdom, by the son of God, we should expect to see a certain amount of order. It is because of this order that scientists can even make observations, Do you ever think about that? What if the world was chaos? Could we make any observations? There would be no consistency. There would be nothing by which we could judge things. There is not, there would be no order by which things could be, you know, we could decide things. If the universe was random, there could be no theories. There could be no laws. The very thing that some scientists want to deny is the very thing that makes their occupation possible. For example, let's just think about the incredible wonder of the water cycle. Let's think about that just for a second. John Piper uh, gave a beautiful way to illustrate this. He gave this illustration. Picture yourself as a farmer in the Near East, far from any lake or stream. 
A few wells keep the family and animals supplied with water, but if the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed from, mount, from month to month, water has to come on the fields from another source. From where? Well, <laughs> the sky, right? The sky? Water will come out of a clear blue sky? Well, not exactly. Water will have to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles and then be poured out from the sky onto the fields. Carried? Well, how much does it weigh? Right? If it's got to be carried, how much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be 27 million 878,400 cubic feet of water, which is about 206,300,160 gallons, which is about 1,650,501,280 pounds of water. It's one inch in one square mile. That's heavy. <laughs> How does it get up on the sky and stay there if it's so heavy? Well, it gets up there by evaporation. Really? Well, that's a nice word. What, what does that mean? It means that the water sort of stops being water for a while so it can go up and not down. I see. Well, then how does it get down? Well, condensation happens. What's that? The water starts becoming water again by gathering around little dust particles between 0. 0.00001 and 0. 0.0001 centimeters wide. That's pretty small. But what about salt, right? Uh, the Mediterranean Sea is, is salt water. That salt water would kill crops. What about the salt? Well, the salt has to be taken out. So the sky picks up a billion pounds of water from the sea, takes out the salt, then carries it 300 miles, and then dumps it on a field? Well, it, it doesn't dump it. If it's dumped, uh, if it dumped a billion pounds of water on the, on, the, uh, on the field, the wheat would be crushed. So the sky dribbles the billion pounds of water in little drops. Isn't that crazy? The fact that that exists, the fact that that happens, that's amazing. It's because creation is done orderly. Creation was by the very wisdom of God, by Jesus Christ. We could not come up with that. That'd be crazy. But God has come up with that order. What a valuable God that we serve how valuable wisdom is. We also see that wisdom brings us peace of mind. It's another area that where, where wisdom, we see the value of wisdom. Look at this then in verse 21. It says, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. This word is, to, is, is talking about to hold on to it tightly. Don't let it go. Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence 
and will keep your foot from being caught. Wisdom, then, we might ask then, how does wisdom bring us peace of mind? Right? How does wisdom help us sleep better at night? Now, again, I want to be, be clear here. I'm not, we're not talking about people that have medical conditions that keep them from being able to sleep. That's not what we're talking about here. In this particular instance, wisdom bringing us peace of mind, helping us be able to sleep at night, things like that. Think of it this way. Wisdom avoids sinful situations that keep us up at night. Wisdom will avoid simple, uh, sinful situations that keep you up at night. If you're following wisdom, if you're pursuing a relationship with the Lord, you won't have to worry that your wife will see that email from your female coworker. You won't have to worry about what your wife will find on your internet history. You won't have to worry that you will lose all your money to that get-rich-quick scheme. If you walk in wisdom, you will avoid these sins that bring these kind of worries. But also in verse, in, 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 if you walk in wisdom, verse 26 makes an interesting promise here. Verse 26 says, For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. If you walk in wisdom, verse 26 promises that God himself is the one who watches over you. I think a great example of this comes out of the book of Hosea. Anybody do your devotions in Hosea this morning? Probably not, right? Hosea opens up. This is, it's, it's a wonderful passage. It's a, it's a great picture of God's redemption. Uh, in the book of Hosea, um, God's prophet Hosea uh, is a single guy, and God says, I want you to take for your wife a sinful woman. She's a really sinful woman, right? Um, she's essentially a prostitute. And God says, I want you to marry her. You might think that's weird. Why would God want him to marry her? Now, let's be fair. Let's backtrack here to think about Hosea's situation. What God is doing with Hosea is he is showing with Hosea's life with the people of Israel what God's people are like, right? God is taking, you know, Hosea is taking the place of God, is, is doing what God does, and the wife is representing what, unfortunately, God's people do, right? Living in a lifestyle of sin and idolatry, God pulls them out from that, right? And then, then in, the, in, this, in this course of time, Hosea is married to his wife. They're having a, a great time. They, have th they end up having three different kids. They all get really funny names. Uh, like one of them is, is named, the, the translation of his name is essentially, not my people, that's great, right? You know, that'd be like saying, I'm going to have a kid and say, you're really ugly. That's your name, is you're really ugly. <laughs> because I want everybody to know that y'all are really ugly. It's really weird, right? But God ha gives him these children, and he basically is, the kids' names, the children's names, is again part of this prophecy against the people of Israel and against their disobedience. You're no longer my people, is what he tells them by, by this child's name. You are, you are not my people. You are functioning in a way that is against me, that is against my will, and I'm no longer going to call you my people, and instead I'm going to find a different people, and they will be my people. Because you guys are idolatrous. Then, she runs off. Right? His wife, who has lived this, this poor lifestyle, she makes a decision, I'm leaving my husband, and I'm going back to that lifestyle. So she goes back to prostituting herself for whatever reason that may be. Scriptures give us a really interesting point in this. When she has run away from her husband, 
when she is doing just what the people of Israel have done, God has purchased her, God, or God has, uh, sorry, God has uh, wed himself to her. They have had this beautiful marriage relationship, and then what do the people of Israel do? They leave and run back to idols. Just like that, she does the exact same thing. She runs away from the Lord and goes back to her, to her sin. And then interesting, the book of Hosea tells us that God put a hedge of protection around her. In other words, she pursued sin, but God let it be so that it would not be as bad as it could be. Right? He put a protection around her. Even though she was running in sin, God was protecting her, just like this proverb says that God will bring us protection. Right? Now, here's the beautiful part of the ending of Hosea. She's back in, she, she has gotten really thick into her, into her sin, into her lifestyle, and she basically ends up on a slave trader's auction block. That's where she ends up. And God says, Hosea, I want you to go buy your wife back. You know why? Because that's what God does for us. Even when we run off into our own sin, God comes and says, I want you back. And Hosea does just that. Wisdom is valuable. God is valuable. Not just because of what he does for us, but because he is the only one who truly deserves that glory. We must value Jesus above all other things. Secondly, we see in the rest of this passage that our, our human relationships reveal our value of wisdom. Our human relationships reveal our value of wisdom. We've seen this, uh, we've seen this, in, this in Proverbs already, that when our vertical relationship is right, our relationship with the Lord is right, then our relationship with those around us will be right. In fact, if you were in Sunday school this morning and you studied uh, through Exodus chapter 20 this morning, you saw this very thing. The first four of the Ten Commandments are about your relationship with the Lord. Then he gives commandments about our relationship with those around us. Because only when those first four commandments are being obeyed can those last six commandments be, be obeyed correctly. He gives here two sins of omission and two sins of commission. These are two categories that theologians give to sin. Uh, sins of omission, this is sin that is you fail to do something good. Uh, in Sunday school, it was brought up this morning, uh, uh, Terry mentioned, well, is it possible to sin and you don't even know that you sinned? Yep, it is. When you fail to do something that you should have done, that's called a sin of omission. There are also sins of commission. That's what we're more familiar with. That's when you knowingly do something that is evil, right? That is a sin of commission. Well, both of those are brought up here. Look at verse 26. Uh, or verse 28, sorry. It says, do not say to your neighbor, go and come, or uh, sorry, um, verse 27, apologize. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. So in other words, don't neglect the needs of your neighbors. Don't, uh, don't fail to meet the needs of your neighbors, whether it's money, food, clothing, maybe a tool, or some other kind of aid. The wise person is attentive to the needs of his community, his or her community. They are the kind of neighbors that everyone wants to have. A wise person is a person that is, that is the kind of neighbor that everyone wants to have. Further, we're shown not to delay in doing good to your neighbor. All right, we don't want to wait until we forget. All right, isn't that what it says here? 
Uh, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I'll give it to you, right? Don't delay in giving something good to your neighbor. Go the extra mile uh, to, meet your, to meet someone's needs. Failing to do good to your neighbor when it is in your power is both wicked and foolish. So how many of us, time and again, when asked for money by a beggar, have said, oh, I, don't, I don't have any cash right now, and just moved on? myself included. Is that being a good neighbor? Do you think that the good Samaritan was in a hurry? Remember the story of the good Samaritan. There's an injured man and three or one or two, two or three, whatever it is, people pass by and they say, I'm too busy. I can't do this. Oh, I've got something else I've got to do. Oh, I can't do that. Do you think the good Samaritan was any, was in any different position? He was probably busy. He was probably doing something. What did he do? He stopped everything he was doing and went out of his way to help him. He probably had other things that he could have been doing. He might have been late to a meeting because he stopped and helped this guy. But he helped him anyway. We, we move then from these passive examples of sin to more active examples of sin. Uh, look at this here uh, in the way we deal with, our, with those around us. Verse, 30, uh, verse, um, verse 29 says, Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Uh, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Um, uh, we, we should not make false accusations against our neighbors for gain or out of jealousy or out of despite. We shouldn't do that. A wise person does not do that. Have you ever actively sought harm to your neighbor? Or maybe avoided them because they caused you harm? Maybe you refused to forgive them? Maybe you said, I want to do this. That, they'll show them, right? I'm going to put my fence right here. That'll show them. Or, or I'm going to put this in my yard because they don't like it. They hate it when I put this in my yard. I'm going to do that just to get back at them, right? Isn't that not planning evil against your neighbor? This will get them. This will teach them. This will show them. Or when you see them, like, oh, there's that person, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't want to talk to them. Is that how we live with our neighbors? Is that how we live with those around us? As I thought about this passage, I reflected a lot about social media. This is a, uh, I'm going to try to make this not become a, 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 uh, um, a soapbox. <laughs> um, but uh, social media rage isn't helpful. It's just not. Getting all up in arms and trying to get people started because, you know what? I don't like that they did this. Somebody that maybe you probably didn't even know did something and now you want to make a big deal out of it and then everybody's just fighting all over the place all over the internet. Is that wise? Now think about that. If I have a friend who I know, I've, say, I've seen this one. This is, I'm not thinking of anybody's here. I don't think anybody here has done this, but I've seen this uh, over and over again on Facebook. If you don't agree with me, defriend me right now. I don't want to be your friend anymore. Like, really? Really? Is that living peacefully with your neighbor? No. It's causing more problems with your neighbor. Or, you know what? I'm going to put this on Facebook because I know so-and-so will hate it. Like, really? How, does that, how is that wise living? How is that living in a relationship with Jesus Christ? The one who told us to love our neighbors. And who is our neighbor? 
anyone you're in contact with, even through social media. Or what about gossip around town? Did you hear what so-and-so did? I heard that they did. Isn't that destructive? It's not living peacefully with our neighbors. Not valuing Jesus messes up horizontal relationships. Not only does valuing, valuing Jesus mean that you will avoid these types of activities with your neighbors, but the opposite is also true. If you find yourself having a poor relationship with someone that is around you, what that shows is not that they're wrong. What it shows is that you have a problem with Jesus. If you value Jesus, if you truly value him and you truly worship him, these things will, be, will work themselves out. You will avoid these sinful situations. If you find yourself in those sinful situations, this speaks to how much you value Jesus. And that's not a fun thought, is it? We're also told here not to envy sinful people. Verse 31, do not envy a man of violence. Do not choose any of his ways. Don't envy sinful people. There are times that it seems that following Jesus does not work out the way we think it should and that following evil can lead to short-term success. Think of a great illustration of this. When Charity and I were trying to get pregnant, we spent about a year and a half trying to get pregnant. Um, Why it took so long, I don't know. Um, but it did. It took us a year and a half. And again, I, I know that's fairly common. Um, so I'm not, I'm not complaining about that at all. But during that time, we would see friends or relatives, uh, especially on, on Facebook, that were getting pregnant when they weren't even married. Um, uh, we were, when we were even trying for a year and a half. And we had friends who were godly people who were waiting even longer and still had not gotten pregnant. That's hard to watch. They're not even doing this the way they're supposed to. They're not obeying the Lord. How come we followed what God wanted us to do and it didn't work out? We want to have this. But what do we find ourselves doing? You know what? Maybe that way was the better way. Maybe that way was the way to go about it. It gets us what we want, right? What does Solomon say here? Do not be envious of the wicked person. Don't envy them. In a fallen world, things do not always work the way they are supposed to. Sometimes it might appear that the path of sin is the path to getting what we want, but in the end, as the rest of this passage will tell us, they lose. Judgment will always fall. Maybe now, maybe later. Similarly, following Jesus will always work out in the end. Even if you do not, if, if you do not uh, seem to prosper now, you will later even if that prosperity does not come until we reach glory. We can be certain that these promises for blessing and these promises for judgment will work out in the end because God himself stands behind these promises. Verse 32 begins uh, explaining this to us. It says, verse 32, for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. Why shouldn't we follow that path of life? Because that person is a person that God hates. It is detestable to him. When we see people that, are, that seem to be prospering, they're living in sin, God's not saying, man, I like what they're doing. He's saying, that makes me sick. It's an abomination to the Lord. It's detestable to him. Then it says, but the upright are in his confidence. 
right? If you follow the Lord and you're following wisdom, it's going to work out. You're honoring the Lord with what, you're, with what you have. Verse 33 then says, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Our actions affect more than just ourselves, do they not? The sins of the parents will affect the children, and the righteousness of the parents trying to walk their best are trying their best to walk after Jesus will affect them positively. This is very similar to the language of Deuteronomy chapters 27 through 30. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked. Not just that person, but their entire household. And the blessings, but he blesses the dwellings of the righteous. Verse 34 then continues. says, toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. To the scornful person, that is the person who is a mocking person right? Uh, a person who is very disrespectful, basically, is what this is talking about. To the, to the scornful person, God is scornful. To the person who makes their life out of mocking others, out of being, out of, out of, out of living sinful lifestyle, God will make a mockery of them in the final judgment. But to the humble, he gives favor. Humility is essential to a right relationship with wisdom. And we are given a choice here. It says, toward this, uh, it says, but the wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. There's a choice between obedience and disobedience, life and death, honor and dishonor. The choice is value and follow wisdom or pursue foolishness and sin. So though we might say that we value Jesus, what do our actions say? If someone was to look at your Facebook feed or sit in on your dining room conversations, look through your financial records, what would they say about what you value? If someone followed you around for a month and looked at where you went or where you didn't go, would they know that you treasure Jesus above everything else? The reality is every one of us stand condemned by our actions. For each one of us, our, accent, our actions speak much louder than our words. Every single one of us fail to treasure wisdom, to treasure Jesus like we ought to. Thankfully, Jesus was wisdom for us. Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead for, on behalf of, because of our foolishness. So if you're here today and you're not a believer, you may see this and say, man, I, do, I don't worship Jesus like I ought to. I don't value wisdom. I don't treasure wisdom because I'm not one of his people. I don't follow him, but I want to. Jesus died for your sin. He rose from the dead, conquering sin and Satan and death, and then making it possible for you to have that salvation. So just as he rose from the dead, Paul tells us one day you would be able to rise from the dead. If you're not a believer, suffer is, is on the table. Will you follow wisdom? Now, if you are a believer, you may say, I don't value Jesus the way I should. I know I'm there. There's areas of my life where I do not value Jesus. Let me tell you, praise be to the Lord that I have that Jesus has died for my sins. Praise be to the Lord that he is wisdom for me. 
I must continue to follow and pursue him. No matter what it costs, no matter what I value, I must put aside those values, as, as scripture would tell us, crushing those idols and raising him up as, as ultimate value. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for this passage of scripture. What a challenge. Lord, do we value you? Lord, are you the first and most important thing that graces our lips? Are you the most important thing that we desire? Lord, I pray that we would be a church whose conversation is marked by you, whose lives, whose values are marked by you. Lord, other things in this world, they may come, they may go, whatever those things might be. But Lord, you do not change. You are valuable because of who you are. Pray that our lives would reflect that. In your name, amen.